Um, so we are, in, we are in our series, First Peter. We're coming up towards the end. We're in chapter four. First Peter uh, is five chapters. So we're at the last, uh, last kind of leg here. And, and um, uh, Peter is gonna continue to be extremely practical. Peter is, uh, P- Peter, like every writer is different. Every New Testament writer and, and Old Testament writer, they have um, uh, their writing styles. Like if you, more than just the English, like when you start actually studying the languages, uh, you know, Greek in the New Testament, Hebrew in the Old Testament, um, their, their writing styles are different. Like their word choice and, and how, and, gr- and the grammar they use is different, but their personality comes through. And, and Peter, what we see in Peter is he goes deep theology followed by extreme practical advice. And then he goes, deep theology, practical advice. And he's gonna continue with that this morning in chapter four, where he's gonna be very practical. Like when we're done, none of us will will go, man, I I just wish I understood what he meant. He just wasn't clear. You'll walk away saying, I know what I'm supposed to do. I might not want to do it. I might not like, but it isn't because I, like, it wasn't because he was confusing. It's like, I know Peter is all right. And so I want to start by asking this question. Is your life different right now than it would be if you didn't follow Jesus? Now, I'm assuming a couple things here. I'm assuming you're a follower of Jesus. I don't know if you are, um, nor would I want to project that on you to say like, well, because you're a church, clearly, no, 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 I, I, I have no idea your relationship with the Lord, but, but I'm assuming that because you're here, you're at least interested. I, I'm gonna assume also that many of us are like, no, I'm in, I'm a follower of Jesus. All right, so if you are a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, is your life different? I mean, noticeably different than if you weren't a Christian. And before you say like, oh yeah, of course, like, you know, I go to church. Yeah, okay. Beyond that, you, you know, beyond the, 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 the shared experience that you and I have a, of a common, like we have a common uh, place to be on a Sunday morning. All right, outside of your schedule, are you a different person because you know Jesus? In, in other words, we could put it like this. Is your life as a Christian noticeably different than the non-Christians around you, whether it be family or neighbors or friends or coworkers, like is your life noticeably different or is it just like, no, no, we're like, you probably wouldn't know, like you wouldn't even know that we're really different. Like our, you know, like how we live and styles and and choices and everything is, is pretty much the same. I just come on Sundays. Is your life noticeably different from the rest of the world? This morning, Peter is gonna talk about how, how our lives should look. Our life as a Christian, if you, I'm, again, I'm assuming that you, uh, you are a Christian. If you aren't a Christian, so much more this applies for you and I'm, I'm so glad you're here. But if, is your life as a Christian, it, it consists of a lot of things, right? I mean, we spend every Sunday, uh, uh, you know, somebody talking about like, hey, here's what we're called to do. And here's what scripture tells us how we should live out our faith. And, and as followers of Jesus, this is what we should be doing and thinking about and how we should be living and how we should be experiencing God's grace. And, and there's a whole bunch of stuff, right? I mean, we have, there's a whole book, by the way, there's a whole book written about it. You should read it. It's a good book. And, and like, it's all about like what it should, what it looks like to follow Jesus. But the main thing, that the life of a Christian should exhibit, the main thing that's like, this is, should be noticeable above all else is transformation. And you are a different person. 
Paul writes in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If anyone chooses to follow Jesus, he says, literally, you are a new creation, a new person, a new being. The old you is gone and there's a new, new you now. And, and like this, it's, it's entirely different. As a Christian, we should be, we should be experiencing real change. So here's what we're gonna see this morning. When you make a choice to follow Jesus, you make a choice to live differently. Now, now this is important, and this is actually a hurdle. This is actually a really big hurdle. And it's a hurdle at different points in your life, depending on, uh, depending on when you choose to follow Jesus. So for me, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up a Christian. So, so like I didn't, you know, church was like, I, it, was, it was just an all an unknown. So when I started going to church, I decided to follow Jesus. There was this hurdle. And the hurdle, the hurdle was this. Jesus can't be something you just simply add to your life. It isn't like I've got my life and you know, the one thing that's missing, gosh, there's just one thing other than, you know, like a really awesome spouse. The one other thing is, well, maybe money. But after that, the thing I'm missing, I'm just missing religion. I'm just missing Jesus. Add that and then my life is complete. That sounds fine. It sounds, it even sounds like that'll preach. Like, hey, the one thing you're missing in your life is Jesus. You need Jesus. Like, yes, that's true. But Jesus is not something you add to your life. Jesus changes your life. It's not enough to say like, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna live how I'm gonna live. I'm gonna be who I'm gonna be. And I'm just gonna add Jesus to it. I'm just gonna come to church. I'm gonna try to do the right thing. And, 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 and just like, that's my experience. No, that is actually a hurdle. That is not what it means to biblically follow Jesus. Biblically following Jesus means surrendering everything. Yeah, my whole life, I'm, God, you, I give you my life to transform and change me any way you want. I'm not adding you to my life. You now are my life. If you've grown up in church, uh, this, this hurdle is much smaller to begin with. Uh, you've probably, uh, like my kids, grown up in church. They've never not known church. And so they've always been in, uh, you know, kids group or now in youth group. And like, and like they've, you know, they, so Jesus like isn't like an unknown and Bible stories and like all of it. Like they, they've just kind of, it's just almost taken for granted. The hurdle comes for them when they have to, when they get to a point where they choose, this is, this is my faith now. This isn't my parents' faith. This isn't, I go to, we go to church because, you know, mom and dad like get us in the car. Actually, mom, I'm, I'm here on Sundays. Um, I don't know if you know that, by the way, this to, it's not even in my notes, this is totally free. Um, that that uh, pastors, like their spouses, like I, they are pretty much single parents on Sundays. So, uh, so, you know, give them credit if, you know, the kid's hair isn't all the way combed. <laughs> um, <laughs> But like my wife gets a kid, like it isn't because like, hey kids, get in the car and we gotta go and we're going to church. Like at some point it's, do you wanna do this? Is this your life? Like do you, you gotta choose. And that's the hurdle. Do you just wanna add Jesus? And like, yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Or is it, no, 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 this is my life. And, and what we're gonna look at this morning, uh, Peter is gonna, is gonna reveal this hurdle that all of us have to say like, yes, when I make a choice to follow Jesus, it's not adding Jesus to my life. It's making a choice to live differently. Choosing Jesus, we could say this too. This first section Peter's gonna bring up is choosing Jesus means choosing a different future. 
There's really two sections to what kind of what we're looking at this morning. And this first is choosing Jesus means choosing a different future. It means pursuing something that is different than it was if I wasn't a follower of Jesus. That, that the way I used to wanna go is now different. And I've, it isn't just like I'm adding Jesus to my life. I've actually shifted my entire course of my life. The focus of my life is now different. In fact, it's probably even more than that. It's, it's probably like 180. Like this is literally what it means to repent, like to make a 180 degree turn. I was doing this, man, Jesus got a hold of me. And now I'm realizing I'm doing, I gotta do this. My life was totally going the wrong direction. Choosing Jesus means choosing a different future. Here's what Peter says. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the body, in his body, this therefore connects with the previous passage. If you remember from last week about Jesus suffering, take him as the model, as, as one who also suffered unrighteously. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Now that is kind of a confusing statement. It, 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 it at surface might look like something that, needs some explanation and it, and it does. But he says this, look at, look at, just because, just as Jesus suffered in his body, he's physically suffered in his body. Listen, ready? You should have the same attitude he did. One of submission to God, even to the point of death. Ooh, that is a high calling. That's not just adding Jesus to your life. That's saying, I'm willing to lose my life for Jesus. That is Transformation. He tells us to have the same, this same attitude. And because the one, he says, this is, the, this is what he's referring to. The one who is willing to suffer physically in their body for their faith is someone whose faith cannot be shaken. You get to a point. I, I, I don't imagine this will happen, certainly not in all of our lives, but if you get to a point, this happens in other cultures, certainly, and in other countries where, where there is real physical persecution of churches and Christians and there are martyrs dying today. If you get to a point where you're willing to die for your faith and you actually like take, like physically suffer harm, that faith is no longer a faith that is focused on sin. He's literally, that, that kind of person, they're done with that, that life of sin. This idea of being a slave to sin, a sin is their master. Man, if you get to a point where you have the same attitude of Jesus that I'm willing to suffer, literally suffer in my body for my faith. He's like, at that point, the, the enticement of sin just doesn't hold anymore. Like that's not, that's not a draw anymore. What, 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 what else do you have for him? What else, what else you got? Because that, that doesn't do it anymore. I'm willing to die for my faith. That's how, that's how important he says this should be. And the person who has done that, it doesn't mean they're sinless or perfect, but rather instead they say, this isn't the driving force of my life. See, I'm done with sin. I'm done with like pursuing that. Instead, I pursue a new master. He says, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires. They've made a change. I want a different future. But rather they instead they live for the will of God. And then he says this, for you have spent time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Listen, you've done the stuff, you've done it. He says, you specifically, and he's gonna give us a list and you're like, whoa, okay. And here's what he says. 
You've done, you've spent time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Let me tell you what they choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Yes, that's all in the Bible. And you're reading that going like, my life's not so bad. <laughs> like, that's not my list, list of issues. Like, whoa. And then you realize, like Peter just said, oh, no, no. The Christians he's writing to, this was them. This was what, he's like, you, you spend time doing that, enough time. And here's the stuff that, that they did and that you were a part of. And when we look at the, like in the script, like when you look at the Greek words of all these things, like the translations here are kind of not entirely accurate. There are some of these that you're like, okay, I might've done that. Yeah, okay, that, that, was, that was my life. Yeah, I did. All right, all right, fine. And, and he says, listen, your old way of life, your new creation is done. And, and the person who has this attitude of Jesus, of following Jesus, no matter what, the, the, that old way of, of living is done. And instead they pursue the will of God. And he continues, they, these pagans who do this, like the, these, the, the way of the world, they are surprised. They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living and they heap abuses on you. This person who has been changed by Jesus lives differently and people notice it and even ridicule them for it. I don't know. I imagine that at some point, like um, I, I, maybe a lot of us, a number of us have had an experience where like, because you said like, no, no, thanks. I don't want to do that or be a part of that or go to that, that you then took on some, some ridicule. I, re, I remember being um, in, in a, a few places where like I was, you know, I was, people knew I was a Christian, but I, I remember being, uh, uh, I remember being offered drugs once, actually a number of times. I just, I guess I got the face. I don't know. And, <laughs> And, and they're like, hey, you want to take this? And I'm like, no, no, I, I, don't, I don't do that. No, thanks, right? And they're like, what? Why not? I'm like, well, I just, you know, I just, I just this is not this is something I do. Like, what? And I'm, these are friends of mine. Well, friends. And, and they're like, are you too good for us? I'm like, what? No, and I'm like having to defend. And, and, and it'll, you know, outside I'm saying like, no, 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 it's not that. I'm just, you know, I just, it's, you know, you can do your thing. It's fine, it's, you know, but, you know, it's just not my thing. Inside my head, I'm, I'm like, are you, you too good for us? I'm like, yeah, yes, yes, I am too good for drugs. I, that's like, you're not gonna peer pressure me into this by like making me feel bad, but like, this is the way of the world. Like, oh, well, you're just not one of us then. Like, no, I'm, man, I'm feeling, I, you make me feel bad for doing good. This is crazy town. And that, that's the world we live in. And he says, this is what they do. This is not new to our generation. It's been happening since the beginning of time. And then he says this, but they will, they will have to give an account to him. We read this and we're like, yeah, get them. And they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The, the King James, I love this. It, uh, it says the quick and the dead. That's where we get the word. And, and then it became like, you know, a bunch of Western movies, which is like weird. <laughs> him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. And that can be kind of confusing. It needs a little bit of explanation. Here's what he's saying. That those who have died amongst your midst, like other believers, that they, they, the gospel was preached to them and, and then they died. That, that those who responded, he says, they were judged. And he's talking specifically about martyrs. They were judged according to human standards and put to death. They were put to death because of their faith. And they were judged. But with regard to God, according to God, with regard to the spirit, he says, oh man, they now live. 
So don't let, don't let the fact that others have been killed extinguish your faith. He's saying, listen, just because they were judged by people and killed for it, now, now their judge is God who judges the living and the dead and they are alive in the spirit. They chose a different future. Choosing Jesus means choosing a different future. Not only that, not only does choosing Jesus mean choosing a different future, but choosing Jesus means serving a different purpose. Now he's gonna spend the next part of this and the next section being very practical. And he's gonna list specifically four ways that we do this, four things that we should be doing as Christians, as followers of Jesus to, to, to serve a different purpose. He, he answers the, well, we could say the, the so what, right? The, okay, great, all right. That's a wonderful, but, but now what? So what? What should I do? And he answers in the most simplest and obvious ways. Here they are. He says the first thing, think clearly and focus on prayer. Okay, all right. We'll talk about this here in a second. I could do that. And number two, he brings up love in a way that deals with sin. Uh, all right, that's gonna be uncomfortable, but... Okay, number three, be hospitable, awesome, without complaining. Dang it. <laughs> number four, serve in the area God has gifted you. And then he's gonna list out specific ways. So as we read through these, we'll go through each one and look at all of these, these four things. The first one is, is he says to think clearly and focus on prayer. He says this, verse seven, the end of all things is near. That's a confusing statement, theological statement that we'll look here and we'll, we'll look at in just a second. And then he, he says, therefore, because the end of all things is near, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And when he says the end is, is near, what is he saying? Is he saying that everything will end soon? We read at face value and we're like, the end of all things is near. Like, okay, that means like, the whole thing, like Jesus and comes back and the whole thing and the tribulation and, and like the world and everything is, is done. But is that what he's saying? Because, you know, 2000 years later, after he wrote this, hey, the end of all things still hasn't come. It's, we, we, we still hasn't ended. So, so either, either Peter's wrong and the Bible's wrong or that's not what really what he meant. Maybe we're wrong and we, we assume interpretation onto it. Instead, what he seems to be saying, and, and theologians will debate and, and discuss, but what seems to be the case, where most land on, is that what he's saying is, it isn't like near in the sense of like, oh, it's right around the corner, but rather like God's, God's history of salvation, his plan from, from the very beginning to now, he says that we're in the final stage of his redemptive plan for the world. And that stage can last a while, but, but like the end, the end of it, like we are much nearer the end than the beginning. And, and like for thousands of years in the Old Testament, they're all pointing to the future, to the future. And he says, now we're here. Like what they've been waiting for, oh, it's right here. We're in that spot. And, and not only that, like, like when we think of, when we think of nearness in, in scripture, like it's not the same as we think of nearness, like nearness with God and close and time. It, with God, like we see in the, in the Psalms, um, it says that uh, with God, uh, a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years, right? So it's been 2000 years and we're like, man, he's really slow. And he's like, guys, it's been two days. It's been two days, right? Just hold on, right? It's, it's coming. And, and not only that, he's saying like, listen, the end of you is near. You're not super encouraging. Like, well, thanks for coming this morning, right? Like, listen, your life, your life on the grand scheme of things, your life is short. 
right? It says we are in the Bible, we are but of a mist, a vapor. And, and regardless of how old you are, you are close to the end. Do you know that, right? Super exciting. You are near your end. We don't know how many years you have left, but you're near, you're close, right? You're, you are, you're on the clock. And he's saying, because the end is near, the end of all things, we're at the end, like the salvation, God's process, God is not, like, like the end is coming and also your end is coming. So in light of all of that, he says, therefore be alert and sober mind. Be, literally in the Greek, it means be self-controlled and clear-minded, like be, be aware. Don't just live life kind of like nonchalantly or just sort of like let life happen. He says, no, no, be like, be, be mindful of your situation you find yourself in. And that is this, that you are temporary. And all of that should lead you to prayer. So we can pray. Prayer is, is so important. He mentions it first. And, 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 and when you are self-controlled and clear-minded, you know what to pray for. I love this quote, D.L. Moody. He's, he once said this, spread out your petition before God and then say, thy will, not mine, be done. The sweetest lesson I've learned in God's school is to let the Lord choose for me. I love that. Prayer is laying out all your requests on the table and saying like, all right, Lord, here's, here's, the, here's all the stuff. Like, here's the things I'm asking for. Here's what my heart, like, here's what I want. Now, you do what you wanna do. You, listen, here's, here's my heart's desire and, and I'm gonna continue to pray for them. But because, because or until, or even if you say no, okay, so be it. I am okay with that. We, we seem to have this idea of, um, of God, like, and I like to say this a lot, like God is like a cosmic spiritual genie, like genie in the lamp, right? We're like, you got like, I got three wishes. And you're like, man, I got three prayers. And you're like, man, if you become a Christian, you get way more than three. You can just keep praying. You can three a day if you want. And we get this. I remember when, when someone is sharing the gospel with me and, and, and talking about like how, 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 how much better life is and how great and God, God solves all your problems and issues. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. It didn't happen. I totally got let down because I had this idea like, like God's a genie that I'm just gonna call on him and he's gonna do what I ask. And then, and then like, and like my life will be better. Like that's his job. That's not how it works though. Dio Moody got it. Listen, I'm gonna put my request out and then I'm, God, I'm gonna let you choose how this goes. Your, your way is way better than mine anyways. So, so Peter tells us to be, to be self-controlled, be clear-minded, and that should lead us to pray. All right, we could do that. And then he says, love in a way that deals with sin. Verse eight, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, love. And love in such a way that it actually has an effect on sin. Now, what, what, is this, what is he talking about? What does he mean by love covers a multitude of sin? It, it, is, he, is he saying that love just ignores it? Just like puts a cover over it? Like, like this, uh, I do this with, with, um, with my daughter, she's six. And like she'll, like usually in the morning sometimes or sometimes at night, she'll play like hide and seek or wanna hide from, from dad, right? And, and I come down and, and I, you know, she puts this blanket over her and covers her whole body. She doesn't know that I literally, I see her do it. Her feet are moving and she's giggling. And right, and I'm, and I'm like, where's Kira, right? And she's just like, and then she stops breathing to hold her breath. She's like, if I, he won't bite me. If I don't breathe, he won't see me. And, and for her, like, if, it, you know, it, she's older now, but, um, and so it's not, it doesn't quite have the same effect like when she was, when she was younger, but, but I, I play with it a lot. Like, I'll just kind of like play on the thing and to the point where sometimes the kid, like the older brothers will be like, 
Dad, she's right there. Do you see her? I'm like, stop it. Stop, don't really go to your room. <laughs> and, and because in her mind, like, if I cover it, it's gone. It's gone. And, and is love that? Is love just like, it covers sin by like ignoring it? Like, it's just a blanket you put over. Like, you know what? To love you means to just ignore it. To pretend it's not there. No, if you've tried that, you know that's not love. That's not how it works. In fact, it only makes things worse. So what is he talking about? How does love cover a multitude of sin? Commentators believe he's alluding to Psalm chapter 10, verse 12. He doesn't quote it word for word because he's, he's, there's a, a Greek translation of the Old Testament that he's probably using. And, uh, and it's more of a paraphrase of, of this particular Psalm, but this is, what he's, this is what he's referring to. It says this, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. We see a similar line of advice in James chapter five, verse 20. And it's actually the, the last verse in the book of James. It's the last thing James wrote down. He's like, literally, here's my last words of this whole letter I'm writing you. And it says this, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death. And here's the same language and cover over a multitude of sins. You see, love in the Bible, and particularly loving people um, and dealing with sin, isn't covering it. It isn't ignoring it. It isn't sweeping under the rug. It isn't putting a blanket over it and pretending it. It's not there. Love in Scripture deals with sin head on. And this makes us uncomfortable. Jesus came. The whole plan from the beginning was that Jesus would deal with our sin head on at the cross. From the beginning, it was, listen, this is the plan. This is the plan. It's gonna be dealt with. It's gonna be dealt with. And now we look back and see it was dealt with, but there's still fallout of sin. And so we're called to address it head on. And we do so, he says, with love, in love. This must start in a place of love, of approaching a brother or a sister. Now, this is important. Not combatively or in an accusatory way, but instead in humility, lovingly, with deep concern for their soul and, and knowing this isn't, this isn't judgment. It isn't because I'm right and you're wrong. This is, hey, I think that, I think this is hurting you and, and I, I'm doing this in the hopes that they will, like James says, that they would turn from their ways. And if it works, they will be, it will cover a multitude of sins. And this must start from a place of love, not like fake love where you're just like, well, I love you. And so therefore I'm gonna call out everything you're doing wrong. That's not how you do it. That's not love. But if it starts from a place of genuine, hey, I, I just have some, I have some really deep concerns and I just, I, just, I just would love to talk to you about some things. And, and, and if it starts from a place of love, it has a chance. If it doesn't, you've experienced this. You've experienced this. I know you have if it doesn't come from a place of love, then it's nothing more than just more judgmental, legalistic rules. For a lot of us, your church experience was that. Even growing up, church was just don't do the bad stuff and go do the good stuff, but really don't do the bad stuff. As long as you do that, you'll be a good Christian. And you grow up thinking, Jesus is all about rules. And it's not rules. That's what we've made it. But when it comes from love, it's not about like do's and don'ts and or else's. It's, it's instead a desire to stop 
the cycle of sin in its tracks because sin is a downward spike. It's a, it's a, it's a, a snowball effect that just gets bigger and worse and harder and more difficult. And you've experienced this too when you haven't dealt with things and you've seen it in people's lives and their lives get out of control and you think, man, it would have been so much easier to deal with it way back when, when it first started. And look at us now, it's like a runaway train. I don't know how to stop it. And so what Peter's saying is love deals with it early and it will help cover a multitude of sin because this sin attempts to destroy both the Christian and the community of faith that they're a part of. And he says, love doesn't allow that. Love intervenes. Oof, all right. If you've ever had to do that, you know how hard it is, but you also know how essential it is. The third thing he says is be hospitable, wonderful, without complaining, without grumbling, he says. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And the reason he writes that is because they were grumbling. (laughs) Because this was something like, all right, fine, fine, I'll do it. Because if you have a deep sense of love for someone, you don't see them as obstacles. Instead, he says, be hospitable and welcoming. And and most commentators agree that hospitality is very specific in this sense. What he's talking about here in the first century isn't like, hey, just be nice and welcoming. Instead, what hospitality meant was uh, was for travelers. Like there weren't a lot of inns back then, right? Evidenced by the Christmas story, right? Like whatever the word inn means, um, like there was no room in it, right? And we'd do plays about it and songs and, and like, oh, all right. And, and that was a common experience that like there weren't a lot of places to stay. So when you're traveling, you relied on the, on the, the just the, the good neighbors. You relied on, the, uh, on, the, uh, on just the, the big hearts of people. Let, them, let, let, let you stay with them. And so what are you saying is when you have, when there are other believers and sisters and, and, and brothers in, in Christ that are, that are traveling, be hospitable means open up your home to them and let them stay, literally let them stay overnight. Hospitality, open your home to them and let them stay and do so without complaining. Stop grumbling. This is your brother or your sister in Christ. So so you instead be hospitable to one another and don't complain. Now, I, I imagine... Uh, we don't. We haven't had many of those experiences. Like you probably haven't had people like just showing up, knocking on your door. You'd be like, "Do you got a room to stay for the night? I just need one night, we'll just really quick. And we'll be out of your hair." You're probably like, oh, "Honey, it's for you." <laughs> like, uh, I imagine you haven't had complete strangers do that. Now, the attitude, though, the mindset. Oh, it's the same. Not how can I let people, my home be like used overnight, though that may be an opportunity that you have that comes before you and you say, maybe we're supposed to do this. But instead you say, all right, hospitality means how can I help? How can I help with this need? It might not be staying overnight somewhere, but like how can I be hospitable and welcoming and do so without complaining and grumbling? Because it, listen, we're easy to do that. I, I'm, this, I'm, this is like, it's like he wrote this for me. Someone comes up with a need and I'm, you know, like, hey, I need a ride. Like, ah, oh, man. You know, I wish I had the ability to give you a ride. Wasn't that your truck right there? Yep, it is. Well, but you know, gas is really high right now and it's not going down. And you know, what if we go halvesies on the gas? Like maybe, ah. And like, like our attitude is like, oh, it's such an inconvenience to help people. And he's saying, how about you help people without grumbling, complaining? Oh man, you want to live differently? That is different. Oh. And then the last thing he says, serve in the area God has gifted you. 
He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That, that whatever God has gifted you spiritually, and he uses the word charis here, God's grace, the word their grace is charis, and it's often re, re, uh, used as uh, spiritual gifts. Like they're often called grace gifts. It's the word charis as in charismatic, where we talk about like, like uh, denominations that are more charismatic, more, more involved in specifically the sign gifts. And, and it comes from this word. And he says, as faithful stewards in God's grace, his charis, specifically these gifts that he's given you in various forms. And then he gives two specific examples. He's gonna give preaching and serving as, as how you should use these gifts. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the, the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever, amen. This is one of the reasons he mentioned specifically speaking, those who have the gift of speaking. This is one of the reasons why, why um, specifically preaching, why preachers, pastors who preach need solid training in scripture. Like you don't just get on stage and be like, all right, here's what I think this says, but I could be wrong. Good luck. He says, you should treat this as you are speaking literally the words of God. This is, this is very serious business. So much so that the Bible also says that James tells us like, don't you know, don't you know that those who teach are gonna get a harsher judgment? Listen, that, that verse is not for everyone. It is for me. Like I read that and go, all right. They're, like, they're, you know, there's times where you're like, man, God wrote that directly to me. He wrote that directly to me. That those who, those who's, who's, who speak and preach, that they're gonna be judged more harshly as, as ones who are speaking the very words of God. So make sure you get it right. Make sure you spend the time. Make sure you, you're trained and make, take this seriously. Now, that being said, anyone wanna preach next week? Right? You want a stricter judgment? Yeah, like, oh, 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 hold on, hold on, right? And he's saying specifically, like, if that's your gift, listen, do it, but take it seriously. And if you have the gift of service, he says, you should do it with the strength God provides. Whatever's needed, God will provide you the strength to do it. This, of all the gifts, like, I, um, I, I've said this before, of all the spiritual gifts, and there's a whole list of them throughout the scriptures, a number of passages that talk about spiritual gifts. And, and, and this is the one, the gift of, of service and helps is the one that, that is often like, Overlooked or seen as like not as like oh man oh you, you, just service or helps I I'm, I'm telling you it's probably for like when I look at them all it is it is they're all essential but it is more essential <laughs> it is like so important for those who have if you, for those of you who have the gift of service you just like hey I want to serve put me to work what, what do you what, what does the church need my goodness like right now. Right now, as we speak, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of people throughout this church who are not in service, who are out serving in kids' ministry and youth ministry, and then on, during the week and in women's ministry and men's ministry. And like, there's, a, there's so many people who are serving in their roles and, and like between services and greeters and people walking people. Like, there's so many people serving in their roles that like, if you take all that away, this whole thing stops. We can have someone on stage talking, but like, unless we have like the whole community saying, put me to work, I wanna serve, how can we help? This whole thing stops, it's done. That's how important service is. And so when he says, if, if this is your gift, anyone serves, do so with the strength God pr provides. And you do, like both of these are examples, not, not of, of like to prop yourself up in pride. It's not because like you're so great. And it isn't even that you're serving, like you're not serving me. 
You're not even serving new hope. You don't do this because you're like, hey, I just want to help new hope. Well, that's how you're going to do it. But you, you, ready? You are serving God himself. You are serving the Lord when you serve his church. It's not about like, like particular people. Like I, I shared this last service and, and I felt like, like they weren't concerned as much as I felt they should have. Um, I won't be here forever. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Was, I supplied it for you, but thank you. One day, whether like, I, I'm not gonna be, I hope it's years and years and years, but you know, eventually, I don't know if you know this, I'm gonna die and you're gonna die. And like, this church is not centered around all person. We serve the Lord here and it's not about any one particular person. And, and so we don't do this to prop ourselves up. Like, like, like you don't, like we don't, we, we typically stay away from people who, who wanna serve, who are like, all right, now hold on. Here's, if, if I serve, if I grace you with my presence in this area of ministry, and now mind you, I am the best in town at what I do. I'm really good at this. I'm really good. And I'm willing, I'm willing to come here, but here's my list of demands. Here's all the things that I need. I want, you know, this time, I want to only serve this. I will only work with these people, not these people. I, you know, I love M&Ms, but you know, not the brown ones, take them all out. And like, I got my list of demands. You're like, what, what? Okay, you know what? Hey, that is not how we do things. It's not about like making sure we all get what we want and I want to serve here or else I'm taking my ball and going home. All right, then you know what? I I guess that means you have to go home because we're not here for ourselves. We're here to serve God himself. And then he ends with a doxology, one of 16 in the New Testament. It says this, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever, amen. Choosing Jesus means serving a different purpose because when you make a choice to follow Jesus you make a choice to live differently both on the future that you want and the direction of your life and also how you serve and who you serve how you focus on others more than yourselves would you do this would you stand with me we're going to worship together and then um, you see the elements on your chair we're going to take communion together so um I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll worship together, we'll sing and then we'll take communion uh, together at the end. So Lord, will you pray with me? Lord, will you, will you continue to make us more like you, Jesus? And when we choose to follow you, we chose to live differently. And so will you remind us, will you put it ever before us that we made a choice here? And this choice was to not live like the rest of the world, but to live differently, to choose a different future and to to serve different master, to serve different ways, to serve people. So Lord, will you continue to to grow us up, continue to mature us, continue to to use us to edify the church, not ourselves, but to to further your bride, Jesus, the bride of Christ. and that we all may play our part to see the gospel continue to be preached and more people brought into the family of God. We love you, Lord. We worship you now. We pray this in Jesus' name.